Hello, hello, hello. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Apollo.io. If you share a pipeline goal with your sales team, then you care about the deliverability of your team's outbound emails. No email visibility means no chance to get that meeting. This is the silent nightmare for marketers. We often don't even know that this is happening. The most common cause of it, it's actually an easy one to fix. You're not using the right tool. That's why hundreds of marketers at companies like Mutiny are switching to Apollo.io. Apollo has every tool you need to power your entire outbound and inbound motions. Yep, that's right. I said inbound emails too. You can ask their team about what that is. Marketers using Apollo have seen outbound email deliverability jump from 62% to 98% after making the switch. 98%, that means more replies, more meetings, and of course, more pipeline. Want to see what type of results you can get with Apollo? Head over to apollo.io slash e5, apollo.io slash e5. If you go there right now, their team will set you up with a free account for you. And as a thank you for your time, check this out. You're going to get a free annual membership to Exit 5. That's valued at $275 just for checking them out. And the tool is free. If you're not already a member, this is a great opportunity. And if you are and you want to learn more, go to apollo.io slash e5. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Jasper. Unlock your best ideas with the help of AI. Companies like HubSpot, Zillow, The Home Depot, and Zoom trust Jasper to help their teams create original content 10 times faster. Jasper offers a wide range of use cases, like optimizing and testing ad copy variations, generating marketing and sales content that converts, writing long-form blog posts that are optimized for search, and creating royalty-free AI images. Jasper's underlying technology includes models that are trained on marketing best practices, that means that you can spend more time on marketing strategy and less time creating copy. You can get your first month free using Jasper by visiting jasper.ai forward slash exit five. That's jasper.ai forward slash exit five and start making your writing easier with Jasper today. One, two, three, four, exit five. <laughs> Let's kick this off. I was going to ask you both, just for the record, to state your names and tell me what you had for lunch today. Nice. My name is uh, Abad Durrani, and for lunch today I had a grilled chicken pesto sandwich on brown bread. It was amazing. Delicious. <laughs> that's that's right way out. more. It's way more impressive than me. My name is Let's Todd Clouser, and I have I have not yet ate lunch, so that's I'm running on an empty stomach here. And that's where the intro, then the intro music comes, bah! like that'd be sick, right? Yeah. That's the intro. Right. Obed and Todd are here. What's nice about this Exit Five podcast is uh, it's mine. I do it for myself and the audience, and I just decide sometimes randomly, like I see something and I see somebody, and I'm like, you know what, I should reach out to them and. Obed and I are DM friends somehow. We have exchanged a bunch of random DMs over the last couple of months. And I saw something. Somehow I got on your easy mode. Is it called easy mode or cheat codes podcast? Yeah. Cheat and, codes is the podcast. Yeah. Okay. Cheat codes is the podcast. And I found that. And that really hit with me for some reason. And then I saw that you guys do this together and you have pretty good chemistry and back and forth together. And I was like, maybe they'll come on. And we could do a little podcast together. And so that's 
that's the background for that. And here I was like a couple of minutes before was trying to find something specific that I want to pull up and prep for you guys. And like, I'm pulling some random episode and you guys are joking about how you do no prep. So you're my kind of people. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. But the reason that I wanted to have you on is because you guys have an interesting approach to, or approach that I agree with about just what it takes to be successful with content and social media and community building today. And I just wanted to get some of that on the record on this podcast, because to be quite frank, I really fuck with it. <laughs> and nice. uh, I think a lot more people should take that approach. And so just want to start by, first of all, how do you two know each other? Because like, if you go to LinkedIn, you try to figure out like what your association and affiliation with you, you guys, like, do you work together? Do you not work together? So who the heck are each of you? How do you have this podcast together? And why did you start talking about content? I'm going to take this one a bit, if you don't mind. Right. So the way we met each other was there was a short stint where we both worked at Refine Labs. And this was very early in like my my own content creation from like an entertainment journey. And when I started creating some of this content, I would put out like a call for collaborators internally. And the first time I ever did this, it was a video called If Sales and Marketing Were a Married Couple, and Obed was the first one to respond to me. And we did this collaboration. I think to this day, it's probably like still my best performing post, which is crazy because I had like 2,000 followers at the time or uh, something. You're, you're welcome. And uh, <laughs> Wait, where, where was it? Like a, was a LinkedIn post, a TikTok video? What was it? Uh, so yeah, the idea of it was it's a TikTok style like scene. If you're thinking about like playing multiple characters, everyone's talking to each other. So I played the role of sales and marketing, and it was just kind of like making fun of like their their interactions with each other. And then Obed played customer success, which was like the in the video he was like the therapist that sales and marketing went to. But then like after Obed left Refine Labs, he kind of became the person that like I just always sent all my video content to prior to putting it out. Like he was like the first pass. And like there's several times where it would be like, I feel like this is like 90% of the way there. Like give me your thoughts. And he would just like add something in there and like that would get it over the finish line. So like we stayed in touch. We created our own like mini little slack of just us. So we could continue doing that, like, I need feedback, let's collaborate, that sort of thing. And like, that's kind of like the beginnings of like what we started with the easy mode framework and the cheat codes podcast. It was just us recording the conversations that we had, like that weren't really work related, but just like content creation process, like this is what we're doing related. So, yeah, totally. And just real quick from my perspective. Like he said, I was at Refine Labs. He was already making like funny marketing content, but I was really scared at that time. I wanted to do it really bad. I just didn't know how. So then when he mentioned in the Slack channel, like, hey, does anyone want to hop on this with me? I was like, here's my chance to shine. And so I was like, yeah, I want to do it. So then I did it. And after that, yeah, like he said, we just kept in touch. I remember one time he sent me this really, really funny video called the origin of lead scoring and uh he was like hey man i got this video and like i think it's great but there's something missing and i watched it and i'm like dude you need to add like villain music and i sent him this playlist 
that was like an 1800s playlist to feel like the villain who just won the game. And it was like just the soundtrack of like classical music. And I sent that to him and he's like, why the hell do you just have like a villain playlist like on the ready? And well, because he sent this back to me within 10 seconds of me sending this message. I was like, dude, villain playlist. And then he used that. And oh, man, it made the video so much like it was so funny. I'll send it to you after this call, too. You can check it out. And then so, you know, that just went on. We were just collaborating, making content together. And then eventually we both wanted to start a podcast. But from just what we've seen, like historically, like podcasts were always like a lot of work, like are we going to have guests? Are we not going to have guests? And what's the name going to be? What's the logo? So what we did is like, you know, when we worked at Refine Labs together, we always used to have these huddles. We would just jump on huddles and just have these random conversations. And at the end of the conversation, we'd be like, damn, we should have recorded that. That was wild. <laughs> and then so we literally just started a podcast that way to where we just get on these Zoom calls and we would be like, so what are we talking about today? And like just through that conversation, we would end up having like an awesome chat. We would save that and then just use that as the uh, episode of the podcast. So that's where the whole us not prepping comes from. So, yeah, I love that. I also think it to me is like a, just a great example of like what it takes to actually make good content and to be good at content today is it's really tough to do if like you don't genuinely like that. So like the story about like Obed just happen to have that soundtrack there and like you had this video like clearly this is something that you guys like are interested in personally and have fun doing and, and like see it as a way to flex some type of like creative muscle and i yeah. do think like you know you look at SaaS companies say a lot of people that listen to this podcast the b2b SaaS companies it's like we want to do content because it's some checklist and some perceived like strategy that we need to have and so we go and write the blog post that everybody else has already written where like I can tell the way that you guys think and I see a lot of myself and how I like to do content and have done things in the past in it where it's like the best stuff comes from riffing on ideas, trying new things, like doing something that you might think is funny and it's based on something that happened in reality. How do you think like, can you replicate that? Like, is this easy for you guys because you guys are in, you've worked in marketing, you like marketing. You know, people always say to me, yeah, if you make content, you're going to make content, but like you're in marketing. They say the same thing to me. You're in marketing, you're doing marketing to marketers. This is easy. You just talk about marketing yeah. stuff. What do you guys say to that? Real quick, I think it's actually easier to market to like non-marketers. I think the further you move away from like easy material to go on, I think it becomes more and more necessary and even easier to build marketing that way. A lot of people say like the boring industries, like, oh no, our, our, you know, we have a boring industry or no, our buyers want like that technical information and stuff, which is great. And like all of that has its place, but like, I don't see that as like marketing, right? Like marketing should be about creating memorable experiences, big and small, planting seeds, when people are ready to buy for whatever reason, then they come in. Think of it like Geico. Like it's the most boring industry ever. Imagine if they took like the B2B SaaS approach and like only put out like technical documents on home insurance and like only put out like, here's what, you know, your mortgage rate would cost you if you blah, blah, blah. And it's like, imagine if they didn't have the gecko. And so one time, like I was talking to, because Todd and I, we get a lot of like, backlash and heat when we talk about non-boring marketing and people are like, oh, you don't need for your content to be 
not boring. You just need to know your audience. And it's like, I do know my audience and I know they're bored out of their minds. So that's why I'm saying this. But, you know, in a funny way, imagine like you could call back in time and you're talking to the person that came up with the Geico Gecko and you're like, hey, you know, like, I realize that even though like we're marketing to companies, it's still a group of people and we should still appeal to like emotion and their other senses. Like that person would be like, yeah. And then it's like, no, no, no. But listen, like, even though it's like a company and they're serious and there's 10, 20 people involved in the buying decision, like we should still be like planting seeds based on entertainment and humor and tying it back to our product and making it relevant and making this just enjoyable content when they come across it. And it's like, yeah. And it's like, but no, no, no. Like, even though it's B2B and it's like, dude, did you guys take like a hundred years to figure this out? Like we came up with that frog, like 130 years ago, like you guys are sitting here in B2B SaaS with like these, you know, $50 million in fundings like per company. And like, you're just now realizing this. So I think it's because I think it's strange how, you know, when people like Todd and me and even you, like I've seen you talk about it. Like, I think it's so strange how we get so much backlash for like the know your audience thing. Like, think of it this way, like knowing your audience is like, way like way up there in terms of like one of the first things you have to figure out right so it's like you know market orientation market research like segmentation targeting positioning messaging right like all this stuff and then way down there you get to the content right you get to goals strategy tactics and then how are you accomplishing those goals how are you carrying out that strategy and then you get to the channels the actual content you're creating so it's like non-boring content is down here like audience is way up here. So it's like knowing your audience is not the alternative to creating content that's enjoyable and memorable and insightful and interesting and entertaining. Right. So that's kind of like where I see all of this, like just the way I see marketing, I see a lot of the stuff that we're creating, I would see as more as like sales collateral. And, um, and sorry, I'm like sweating right now, dude. I just came down with a fever all of a sudden today. I don't know how. And so uh, I see it more like sales collateral. Like you get the Geico commercial and then, you know, you see these commercials, you see all these like things that, that they're doing. And then when they go in, you got the brochures and the pamphlets and all that stuff and that extra information. In reality, like in B2B SaaS, we're trying to do the opposite. We're trying to use like that informational, like pamphlets and, you know, brochures and all of that stuff. The equivalent to that would be like technical blog posts and white papers and stuff. And we're trying to use that stuff as marketing mm. collateral. It's not to say that, that that stuff doesn't work. They just, it has a different place and you have to be aware exactly. of. Exactly. Yes. I, I totally agree with that, which is like, I think a lot of people don't, for whatever reason, we maybe we're, we think we're too good to admit it, but it, this whole thing is a game for attention. And you can choose how you want to play that game, but the game is going to be much easier if people are paying attention to you. Todd, you just you just joined an interesting company where I feel like this kind of it's a brand that people are paying attention to. Can you talk a little bit about Lavender and like why you joined and where you see this fitting? Because I I bet that with your background and the similar vein to what Obed is talking about, there's a lot of connections there into being interesting. Yeah, real quick, before I get into that, I want to touch on this point of marketing to non-marketers because for a long time, I marketed to welders and like that was my audience. And 
I think from a content perspective, we always think about like reaching the biggest possible audience with any given content. And we forget about like the individual at the end of the line. One of the things that we did because YouTube was our primary channel of marketing to them. And this was a huge unlock was anytime a question came in that we could action immediately with a long form video, whether or not we had already created a video on that topic or not, we created that video because there was always some little nuance in how we answered it. But not only that, you're creating a diehard fan. I hate to say that because it's kind of cliche at this point, but you're kind of, you're creating a diehard fan when specifically when you have a large following and you can, you answer that person's question in the form of a video and then you call them out in that video for like providing the idea. Like that's the person that's going to show up in every single video, going to be the first person in the comments. They're going to tell their friends, like if you need questions on XYZ, like this is the place to go to. So like, I think that's one thing that, that is important to note as well. I do think so often though, I was thinking about this with a, a guy called comment too. I think the part where like this gets ruined in B2B marketing is I think whether your idea is to make those videos for welders or if you have the gecko idea, we instantly go to like, well, how are we going to measure this? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. how are we going to, the gecko's great, but I don't, we don't sell geckos. And so how do we make sure that this campaign like drives revenue for this channel? Or how do we know this one, is it making this one video is just going to result in X number of sales. And I think anybody that's actually been in the content game and making interesting content, you know that there is just a certain feeling of when you do it, you get a response and then it becomes, yeah. it becomes easy. I'll give you a perfect example. I did like a promoted post with a SaaS company, like a sponsored thing, like, Hey, drive traffic, you know, write a thing, drive traffic to this, yeah. whatever. And they gave me a UTM, they gave me UTM link. Yeah. And I didn't want to use the UTM link in my LinkedIn because I think it looks like, you know, it already is an ad. And then like, if I'm going to yeah. like, it just looks worse. Well, they had 700 signups that day from that post. And like, they don't need, they emailed me this morning. It was like, this was amazing. Can we do more? You were right. We don't need the UTM because it was obvious that on that day, after we did that post, this thing happened. And it just was like another reminder of me that like, despite the best of our demand gen and how we want to measure, oh, well, well, we're doing a campaign. We're doing an influencer campaign. Here's the tracking link. Let's make sure we traffic you will know. And I felt this firsthand when we were adrift. We had a podcast called Seeking Wisdom that we didn't measure it. How did we know it was driving business? Because like the sales team would tell us all the time, man, I've talked to this person today. They were listening to Seeking Wisdom. We would, someone would show up at an event. They listen to this. They, they would reply to our emails. And I think you have to have that creating content has to do with that feeling. And I do think that that's a key ingredient that it seems like you guys have that is also just an underlying layer. Whereas if we go first of like, how are we going to measure this? Then of, of course you're going to be screwed from the start at trying to do interesting marketing. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. No, I agree. totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing that is interesting from a content perspective, like the more and more you create, like you're going to have different like buckets in which those or different point of views in which like that different subject matter falls into. And like in YouTube specifically, we found that like there was like three or four very specific topics that like when we spoke about, like we knew exactly the result that was going to happen, not because like we were measuring it and measuring like inbound leads or anything like that. 
but the response that came in any given video that was around a specific topic. So like, again, and this kind of back to the question that I put on hold here, this is exactly what spoke to me about joining Lavender. Like, if you look at Lavender content, it's way more geared towards like, it reminds you more of like B2C content of like, you know, the stuff you used to see on like TV when like you would see like TV ads and stuff. Like you see a Lavender Joe like skit and like it's not selling Lavender. Like there's no call to action to download Lavender. He's kind of like picking on all of the stereotypes that we know are like still being done at a huge like massive level but like everybody knows that they're wrong and it's like we kind of like poke fun at ourselves Mm -hmm. which is kind of what i do in my personal content with marketing like i make fun of marketers all the time even though i am one so well so i think your headline is like you're the worst marketer in the world or something like that yeah yeah absolutely i lean into that too like i put a post about this the other day and i was like you know i get probably not a ton but i probably get like between like five and ten people a month that'll DM me specifically to say like, hey man, I saw your headline. It's hilarious. And I'll be like, listen, it's meant to be funny. Like it's meant to grab your attention. Hey, it's Dave. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Apollo.io. If you share a pipeline goal with your sales team, then you care about the deliverability rate of your team's outbound emails. No email visibility means no meetings. This becomes the silent nightmare for us marketers. You often don't even know that this is happening. And the most common cause of it, it's actually an easy one to fix. You're not using the right tool. That's why hundreds of marketers at companies like Mutiny are switching to Apollo.io. Apollo has every tool you need to power your entire outbound and inbound motions. Yep, that's right. I said inbound emails too. You can ask their team about it. Marketers using Apollo have seen outbound email deliverability jump from 62% to 98% after making the switch. 98%, that means more replies, more meetings, and of course, more booked pipeline. Want to see what type of results you can get? Head over to apollo.io slash e5, apollo.io slash e5 right now, and book a meeting with their team to get set up. And as a thank you for your time, they will give you a free annual Exit 5 membership for booking a meeting that's valued at $275. Go check them out, apollo.io slash E5. But it's also true. Like I, my background is YouTube. Like my full-time job for 10 years was YouTube. So like when I saw everyone talking about like marketing automation and like using tech stacks and everything, like, yeah, I felt like a freaking idiot until I realized like, you know what? Like, my ability to create content that resonates with people and like is memorable is way more impactful than being able to like report on stuff. I can get somebody else to report on it for me, but like showing that I can connect with an audience and create that content, at least to me and the people that I want to work with, like that's way more impactful. Yeah, I agree. Going back to what you said real quick about like the reason it's a bit difficult to like create content this way and do it this way is because so many people are caught up in like, okay, well, like essentially like, what was the ROI of this? And I think like, it's going to be difficult to sort of work around that. But I think like the answer, a potential solution might be in a mindset shift when it comes to 
what you're expecting to get out of your content. Like a lot of people, they want to make content and they want to make it good, right? Like let's make good content. This has to be good. This has to be amazing. But I would say, stop trying to make stuff good because when you try to make stuff good, what do you want afterwards? You want to see if it was good or not. What do you look for? You look for the proof. The proof isn't usually there because not everything is trackable. And then it's so you want to pull the plug on these activities and whatnot. So what I'd say is instead of aiming to be good, aim to be memorable. Because when we're aiming to be memorable, we understand that the person, your audience, they come across dozens and dozens and dozens of content assets in one day. And they're not going to remember all that stuff. What they are going to, so let's say like in one week, we come across hundreds and hundreds of content assets. If on day five, I sit there and I'm like, hey, Dave, so can you recall all the content you've seen over the past four days? You'd be like, dude, no way, right? Like you'd be able to remember maybe three or maybe four of the really memorable ones. And they're memorable because maybe they were super insightful. Maybe they gave you a new approach to something, a new perspective to something, or they could have just been relevantly hilarious in the context of what they were going for. But at the end, they were memorable. So I would say that when it comes to creating content for your you know, marketing strategy, aim to make your content memorable, a memorable experience. So once someone comes across that content, it's a memorable experience to them. And you can do this in both big and small ways. One of my favorite example of like a small way of doing that is think of the uh, email newsletter signup pages. We go and subscribe to a newsletter and then it's like, hey, please check your inbox, confirm and come back here. And then like, you know, and so imagine if it was like, like, imagine if you signed up for our newsletter, we don't have one, but imagine if you signed up for our newsletter and it was like, holy shit, did the Dave Gerhardt just sign up for our newsletter? I don't believe it. I'm going to need you to confirm your email, fam. And then like you go. And now when you go to confirm your email, at the very least, like maybe you have a smile on your face and then you go and confirm your email. It's not this like horrible, daunting task. You confirm your email and then you get a new page and it's like, dude, no way. I can retire now. Mission accomplished. Ha ha, JK. You know, look out for more insights in your inbox every weekend. I love that example because like I was going to, and I had a question that I wanted to ask you guys after, which is like, mm. I think it's easy to default to like these big, the big sexy video, like big yeah. brand ideas. Yeah. And like what you provided is like micro copy. That's like a day-to-day yeah. thing where like, and I remember Slack, I don't know if they do this anymore, but like Slack used to have really good like in-product copy where like you try to upload a photo and they had some like witty line where like, if you didn't upload it the right dimensions, they had some like funny one-liner or like... Mm. Your email example, Obed, is perfect. I used to have this email at Drift that was after somebody would sign up, they would get an email from me personally, and it would be like, hey, this is Dave. Well, actually, it's not really me. It's the automated version of me. I wrote this at one point in time, but I just want to say thank you for signing up. Here's what you're going to expect. And if we ever spam you, you can reach out to me personally. Here's my personal email. Please come blow me up if we, you know, whatever. And then it was like a gif of me waving and people really connected with that because it was like real, it was personal. And I think that's a great example of what you just kind of laid out. Yeah. I love that. I think that's a perfect example of like that theory or like concept in play. I like that a lot. So how do you guys apply this mentality to an actual marketing team with weekly, monthly goals, quarterly campaigns, like you know, it's real easy for like, if it's the three of us and I'm like, Hey guys, I want to come up with a funny video to like 
go viral on LinkedIn to help me promote exit five. Like we could do that. We could go make the video. That's great. But I, I want to give people like practical advice. I'm sure people are listening. They're nodding along. They're like, okay, this is cool. These guys have cool content ideas, but like, how do you put this in play? And maybe Todd, I'll kick this to you as a former YouTuber who's now running marketing at a SaaS company. Where does this actually fall in line? I think the best way I can describe this and Obed and I call this the the content journey. So Obed, you can hop in and say if, if you want to bring this in a different direction. But I think the problem with most like, let's say entertaining content is that there's no thought process behind it of what it's supposed to achieve. Like I did as an example, last February, I put out my calendar invite on LinkedIn to just like chat with people who wanted, were interested in doing TikTok content, but didn't know how to get started or whatever. And I asked three questions on every single one of those calls. The first question was, what's the purpose? Like, why do you want to create TikTok content or entertain content? And the overwhelming majority, and when I say overwhelming, like 99% of these people would say the purpose of it is to create brand awareness or drive inbound demo leads. Like those were the, out of everything that I heard, like those two came up almost every single time. And like, it made me realize that like, you know, like these aren't, this isn't a purpose. This is like a side effect of what you're trying to achieve. So like in my head, the purpose of this content is first and foremost. And like, it should have one of three purposes, like, and it's really a targeting exercise and then figuring out the type of content that works for that target. So like, First, it's like, am I creating content that's going to be like geared at like a top down strategic narrative level that I'm pitching to like CEOs or strategic decision makers? What's an example of that? So like an example of that would be like take Chris Walker content. Like he's making like what we call type one, like talking head, pitching like strategic concepts that are trying to like drive that strategic mindset shift in the high level of the organization that they push down. So like the overall company message is like, we're an agency who believes that the way that B2B marketing is, has been done is broken. This is a video that shares, like it's a perspective as it relates to that. And we want to get people talking about it as opposed to like, Hey, we have a big product launch for lavender in March and we're launching our new sales email blank. Okay. Like, is that where you're getting with this? Yeah. So nice. But the problem with that, and it's not a problem in itself, but like, let's say you get that mindset shift adoption in like the target company, like you come one step down from that strategic, like CEO, C-suite level. Now you've got a bunch of people that maybe get the idea, but they have to go out and implement it. So like, this is what we call like, middle out implementation content. So this is going to be like your how-to content. If you're trying to achieve X, do Y. And there's millions of examples out there. Like just think how-to in your head, like very tactical, where like a lot of this entertaining type of content really comes into play is like now you go one step below that. You've got this massive audience of people who is actually using your product or maybe they're not using your product. Like ClickUp is a great example of this. Super competitive category that they play in. The focus of this content, we call it bottom-up evangelism, is 
your goal and like this type of content is to evangelize the end user of your product so that one, if they already use it, like they're in love with your brand and they're like happy to use it and shout you from the rooftops. Or two, if they don't use it, like they want to, like they aspire to use it because you like they resonate with that content so much. So like I just use ClickUp and as an example, but back in the day, I was buying, I actually ended up buying Monday. So like I was looking for a project management tool and this was back when I was doing YouTube stuff and I needed it for a very basic use case, right? Like they all did what I needed to do. So like I was looking at Monday, Asana, I forget the other one or two that I was looking at, but at the end of the day, they were all kind of priced in the same area. They all did what I needed it to do. I went with Monday because back at that time, they had a series on YouTube called Will It Automate, which was freaking like an amazing series. And it resonated with me because like I was in YouTube, like it was great content. So I ended up going with that with Monday because like they evangelized me with that entertaining content. Had absolutely nothing to do with the product. But yeah, so like that's where that entertainment stuff comes in. And getting back to the original question, I kind of rambled forever there. But like you have to figure out the purpose of the content. Are you talking about strategy from like a strategic level that's going down? Are you telling people like how to implement that strategy or are you evangelizing the people at the bottom to like use your product? You want to jump on that? Yes, sir. Okay. So adding on to that, adding on to the purposes behind your content where you have the top down, middle out, bottom up, there's a few other things that over the past year or two, I've kind of just, it's just the way that I see content now. And so I kind of want to break that down. First, there was this concept or ideology called idea-driven content. And where that came from is I've always liked to pare down like blanket advice. So a few years ago, the blanket advice was like, just make good content, just make good content. And then, <laughs> so I'd be like, what does that mean? And then people would be like, you know, just uh, content. And I'd be like, okay, you know, so then I went and I I try to figure this out myself. I forgot about it. You know, imposter syndrome, low confidence, put it to the side. And then I brought it back up when Todd and I were talking. So what it is, is what we've done is we've categorized different types of good content into specific groups to help ourselves and other content creators understand what it even means to make good content. Because on one hand, Dave, you could have this podcast or you could make a sick LinkedIn text post tomorrow and like it'd be good content. But at the same time, Pape Laya could do like an episode of Do You Even Resonate? And like, that's good content. And at the same time, Will Aitken could make like some funny sales feed skit or Gong could make like a Super Bowl commercial and like, that's good content. So it's like, there's such a varying degree of like resources involved here, purposes involved here. So how do we make sense of all this? So the way we did it is we broke it down into three types. There's type one, type two, and type three. Now type one is insightful substance. So for your content to be any level of good, especially in a B2B context, it has to be built on insightful substance. From there, we move to type two, insightful substance presented in an interesting format. And then after that, it's type three, insightful substance presented in an interesting format and built on an entertaining concept. And this is not like a progression system. It's not like, oh, you start with type one and you go to type two, then you go to type three. It's a uh, individual like parallel lanes. So a quick example of that, 
if you look at like, for example, like you mentioned ClickUp, like ClickUp has these commercials where they show you like how cavemen back in the day use their product to do like their all like day to day stuff. And so when I saw that, and then I saw like a Grammarly commercial where they show you an employee using Grammarly for their day to day things, I was like, you know what, essentially, these commercials are like the same thing. They both show you a product, they show you the product in action, they tell you what the product is, they even show you like UI screenshots, and they're both like 30 seconds long. They're the same thing. But in my mind, one is arguably more memorable. And that was because it was built on a creative concept. So then that got me thinking about substance and delivery. And this is something else that we've like finalized together. So there's this concept of substance and delivery that when it comes to creating content, you want to break it down into two things. There's your substance. So the actual takeaways you're providing, the dope insights, the perspectives, the advice, and then there's your delivery. How are you delivering that substance? What is the best way to get this substance across? And we break that down into two further parts. Delivery is broken down into format and concept. So your format is like the content asset you're creating. Is it a blog post? Is it an infographic? Is it a video? And I feel like we usually just do those two things. We decide what we're going to make and then we make it. It's like, oh, I'm going to write a blog post on this or I'm going to make a video on that. So the second part of delivery is concept. Sometimes, not all the time, sometimes when the moment calls for it, we need to apply a creative concept like the ClickUp commercial. So if we go back to the type one, type two, type three stuff, and the reason that I explained this substance and delivery concept is I did all three. So with my type one insightful substance, I just wrote up a LinkedIn text post where I explained what this meant. I published it and I went on about my day. Type two, insightful substance in an interesting format. I turned on my PS5. I turned on my PS5 camera. I started streaming myself playing Resident Evil 8. And I just started talking about substance and delivery. And then <laughs> I, had like this, I, I had like this video. So instead of just like a normal video of me talking about it, it's me live streaming this video game talking about substance and delivery. I published it on LinkedIn. People really liked it. And then type three insightful substance in an interesting format built on an entertaining concept. I got a rap beat and I wrote out like what substance and delivery means, but as like rap lyrics. And then I turned it into a rap song, uploaded it on Spotify and like did that with it. So you could break down your substance in all three ways. And then going back to what Todd said, there's your content journey, right? There's your bottom out, middle out, top down. So just recapping real quick, you have your idea-driven content, right? Like what it means to make good content. You have your content journey, the top-down, middle-out stuff. So the way that I've always put this together is through this thing called the four-step thought process, where it's just like, number one, let's grab a marketing objective. Like what are we trying to achieve? What are we trying to make progress on here? Number two, let's list out all the different content formats that could help us move closer to that goal. Because as you know, there's certain content formats that are better suited for certain goals. Let's go back to like the brand awareness example real quick. If you're trying to get brand awareness, you'll probably have more luck, you know, doing something like a webinar or a free course than, you know, trying to accomplish that through like a blog post. So what I've always done is step one, grab a marketing objective. Step two, write out all the content formats that I could create to move, like execute that objective. Step three, 
understand the message that I'm trying to deliver. Like, so what's the main takeaway? What's the thing I'm trying to convey? Like you said, Dave, it could be a product launch, right? Like this is where that comes in. If that's what I'm trying to get across, that Lavender or Drift or whoever has launched a new feature and I want everyone to check it out, then that's the message I'm trying to convey. But then step four is like, how do I turn this brand asset into a memorable experience for whoever's watching, reading, or listening? Like, how do I take like the me factor out of it and make this content that is meant for you to enjoy? And at the same time, it's relevant to the product. I tie it back to the objective, all that stuff. But that's hidden. You shouldn't see that. All you should see is content you enjoy. Hold on one second, ladies and gentlemen. Hey. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. Get this man a towel. <laughs> Oh, bad. you could Thank go you. take a seat on the bench, man. We got two up for the fourth quarter. Look, look, guys, it's been an honor. I'll see you later. That was great because, and, and there's actually a meta lesson, I think, or I don't know if it's a macro, but like you're in marketing and you have a point of view and you wanted to deliver this framework. Like what you just talked about was like the ultimate lesson, like the way you package that up is a perfect example of good content on its Thanks, own, man. which is like, you didn't just have a point of view. And I think like you guys mentioned Refine Labs and Chris's stuff, like, the reason that that stuff hit with a lot of people was not just because Chris was like a compelling public speaker, but I think things were delivered in such a packaged way. And I learned this lesson at Drift from David Cancel in the early days. He was like, you always got to give something, a like give it a name, give it a framework, give it some packaging. And like the message in the story is going to land much better with people than if you're just like, hot take, this thing is broken. Here's why. But like, <laughs> if you can package it up. And so like, the way that you laid that out, I think is, I want to dive in that for a second, but the more you can go back to, you know, for those listening, the more you can go back to your execs and your founders and think about the company story, not just in the overall story, but like, how can we package this up? The delivery of it matters. And like, you know, a lot of people like to like shit on marketers and how we like to come up with acronyms and different names for this, but there's so much power in being able to name something, whether it's a framework like inbound marketing, conversational marketing, whatever you want to call it, right? Or if it's just what you did, which is like, hey, here are the three tenets of great content. Like a lot of people talk about you need great content, but that means blah, blah, blah. Here's what it actually means. Boom. You need insightful substance. Boom. You need an interesting format. Boom. You need an entertaining concept. Now you've given people like an actual way to do that. So that that to me alone was just like a masterclass in, in how to think about content. One thing I want to come back to is is just like a the various formats, because I think that that framework is fantastic. I think that a lot of companies make the mistake though of not being intentional about like, where do we then want to go and play? Meaning like, I think it was clear, like if you use Refine as an example, Refine Labs as an example, or like Gong in the early days or Drift, it was our podcast. It was like Gong said, we're going to do this on LinkedIn. At Drift, we said, we're going to do this on our podcast, right? I think you do have to be intentional about like picking one or two channels because I think what doesn't work is to like, as great as that framework is, I don't think you can do that in like one day you make a YouTube video and one day you make one TikTok video. Like, how do you guys, you know what I'm trying to articulate there? Like, I feel like you need to say, even if you end up being wrong, I would much rather see companies be like, we're going to take that framework and for six months, we're going to try to build an audience on YouTube because we believe that X. Like, what's your reaction to that? You want me to take this one? You want to take this one? I bet. Yes, sir. Go ahead. I'll go after. Okay. So I think if we're starting from scratch, let's pretend like we're starting from scratch. We're building out a content engine. Me and Obed were just talking about this earlier today. Within this framework that Obed partially just laid out there, like we talk about 
high effort, high payoff content and low effort, high payoff content. And I think those also fit into like capture demand and create demand. And I think a lot of what the narrative has been lately on LinkedIn and other like marketing channels is create demand, create demand, create demand, which 100% I agree with. You have to create demand. People kind of forget about the capture demand part though, right? So like kind of coming back to the original question, like how many channels should you start with? Like when do you figure out like when you add on more is in my head, you need to have at minimum one of each. Like you need to be doing capture demand and create demand. So like if you're just starting out and like I'll use Lavender as an example, like we're just building out our marketing team, like we're creating all this create demand in public, like the brand awareness stuff. We've got like individual content series that people are that people are spinning up, but we've also got the blog that we're building out in the back end. So that like if we're successful in these create demand channels, right now the main two for us are TikTok and LinkedIn. But like as those are effective, we'll bring up more people and increase that. If that works, you're gonna get to a point where you're no longer the person that people associate that narrative with, right? Because like word of mouth, dark social, like all these things happen. And it gets so far out, so far removed from like my LinkedIn post that like somebody might hear about email assistance and they don't know that like the original narrative came from Lavender. They try to find like who's a good email assistant and they may find someone else. Like if we're not focusing on capture demand. So like I think the answer to your question, if you're just getting started, obviously like if you're in B2B SaaS, the most obvious answer is probably LinkedIn. Like there's a huge audience there, but as you move out, like it's about testing and we can talk about like what we look at as those qualitative signals, audience signals. I bet if you want to dive into the little, to this a little bit, you can, but I think most people are going to do like all these create demand motions. Like they're going to like spread it out, see what works. I think you need to, the capture is less sexy, but like you have to do one of each. Before you hop in, Obed, though, this is where it does pay to the whole like know your audience piece, though, right? Like if you're going to pick which channels are we going to be on, that's got to come from who are we selling to? Where do these people hang out? Mm. And I also think another analysis that you have to do is also like where can we, based on this point in time, compete? (laughs) And so maybe nobody in your industry and your niche is on YouTube, but like you look around and like you don't have any budget. You have one other people, a person on the team you've no YouTube experience and eh, maybe let's not do YouTube verse. Like if the team is, you know, Todd's there and Obed's there and it's like, well, actually, you know, we kind of have some creative chops here and like Todd spent a decade on YouTube. And so we might have an unfair advantage. Like, I think there's a little intangible piece of that in figuring out like where you're going to play. Like at drift, it was playing into the fact that the CEO already had, you know, 60,000 followers on Twitter and was like a pretty prolific writer on medium and already had an audience. And so I was like, Oh, there seems to already be something here. Let's go and build that versus if it's two unknown founders, I might not have like recommended the same approach. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. That's kind of like the way I was going to approach it. Like when it comes to like, what channels do we go on? Where do we start? I think it depends. Like if you're just getting started out, you have no existing audience, nothing like that. Then like you said, where do your customers hang out? Where is your audience actually spend their time? 
then I would say to start with there. I think eventually over time, gradually over time, what you want to do is dominate more and more of these channels, create a dominating presence on more and more of these channels. Just like you need to eventually over time unlock new verticals, you need to expand your total addressable market. I think you also need to start establishing presence, a dominating presence on all of these channels. It's just a matter of prioritizing the order in which you roll those channels out or you attempt to build a presence on those channels. And then again, that goes back to one of two things. If there's no existing audience, you're just getting started out, find out where your customers are. And then on the other hand, like if you've been doing it, I would say start with there. And like you said, based on your resources, so your customers and your resources, that's what's going to guide you and help you determine like what is the order of these channels and like how do we want to attack them based on priority and stuff. And real quick too, I think also the lift that is required on specific channels. Like one thing that I learned a long time ago in YouTube, because a YouTube video is not easy to produce if you're going to do it right. Like it's, it's typically not repurposed. Like you have a YouTube first strategy. Pause never for a second, which is my biggest beef with every B2B SaaS company in starting YouTube is what we do is we just, we've made a lot of videos and we just put them on YouTube and we're like, well, why is YouTube not working? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas exactly. like the same as TikTok, the same as YouTube to the same way. Like I've seen a lot of people do this. I'm trying to do this now with my podcast. Like if I just take clips from the podcast and put them on TikTok, that account is not going to grow. You have to make dedicated native content for yeah. the platform. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of, that's a little bit where I was going with this. Like what I learned when I was doing YouTube content, like we couldn't spend a ton of time figuring out what was going to work. Like we had sponsors, we had like goals to meet, like all that. So what we would do is we would start with our short form channels. So like early on, it was Facebook and Instagram. And then later on, it became TikTok. And we would start putting out content on these lower lift channels to figure out the stuff that people were responding to. So we might put out five short form posts a week, figure out what has like the most engagement, what people are like asking the most questions about, all that kind of stuff. And then that turns into a long form video. Whereas most people's perception of like how you should create and repurpose content is kind of what I call like the Gary V method, which is like create one long form piece of content and then chop it up a thousand different ways and just like call it like uh recycle. To me, that's like recycling rather than like repurposing. When we talk about repurposing, we're talking about repurposing the idea, not the specific piece of content. So like if I'm creating something for TikTok from this podcast, I'm not going to, like you just said, I'm not just going to cut something out of this podcast. I'm going to figure out the message I was trying to get across in that clip and I'm going to rewrite it so it works for TikTok, you know? So. Yeah. I love that. That to me is like the secret ingredient of like using content and using social media. It's like trying to find these little signals and pockets and it's not necessarily a metric, but it's like, oh man, that, that concept. It's like when I use that line, life is too short to work for CEO doesn't get marketing. Like people started to tweet that and reshare it and whatever. And so when I wanted to come up with a, a video concept to promote the job board that I had, it was like, Oh, I already know. Like here's a one liner that I think is funny and like already lands with people. Then when, when I hired Danielle from Epic media who made the video, we came up with that idea in like five minutes because it's like, Hey, this concept's kind of already been proven. 
let's go and like make a funny video. And she, she did her magic and made it happen. But I love that. I think that's the underrated benefit of content is like, it gives you your finger on the pulse. We got to wrap up. I wish I could talk to you guys forever. Obed and Todd, I'm going to link to you guys in this episode. I would recommend you go and connect with each of them on LinkedIn so you can get their content in your feeds. You also need to go and check out Cheat Codes. This is their podcast, Cheat Codes, Play the Marketing Game on Easy Mode. They got a bunch of different stuff on there from this content framework that they talked about to, to what does it mean to build a media company to how to approach influencer marketing. I've been following them secretly and I wanted to get them on the show. So I appreciate you guys doing this and uh, hopefully we'll stay in touch and I'll, we'll, maybe we'll do this again in the future. Okay. Thanks a lot, Thank man. Yeah, man. Really appreciate, appreciate you having us. Appreciate you All right. having us. Awesome. We'll see you guys. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Exit 5 podcast. If you're in B2B marketing and you want to grow your career, you should also go and check out everything that we have over at exit5.com. We've got articles, we've got videos, we've got templates. Plus, we have a community, a community of over 4,000 B2B marketing pros. Whether you're deep in your career and want to connect with your peers or just starting up and you want a place to go where you can see what people are talking about, get smarter about B2B marketing in your own time to grow your career and help grow your company, go and check it out. It's exit5.com. You can get on the email list there. You can join the community. There's 4,000 marketers in the community. We have a job board. We're always adding new stuff. It's really becoming the number one place you can go if you want to grow your career and learn more about B2B marketing outside of what you're doing inside of your company every day. So check it out, exit5.com. And I also want to make sure I give a shout out to my friends at Hatch. That's hatch.fm. They produce this podcast. It sounds amazing because of the work that they do. And they work with B2B companies just like yours. They offer unlimited podcast editing and strategy for businesses. You can get unlimited podcast editing and on-demand strategy for a low monthly cost. All you got to do is just upload your episode and they take care of the rest. Go and check them out. It's hatch.fm. Hello, hello, hello. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Apollo.io. If you share a pipeline goal with your sales team, then you care about the deliverability of your team's outbound emails. No email visibility means no chance to get that meeting. This is the silent nightmare for marketers. We often don't even know that this is happening. The most common cause of it, it's actually an easy one to fix. You're not using the right tool. That's why hundreds of marketers at companies like Mutiny are switching to Apollo.io. Apollo has every tool you need to power your entire outbound and inbound motions. Yep, that's right. I said inbound emails too. You can ask their team about what that is. Marketers using Apollo have seen outbound email deliverability jump from 62% to 98% after making the switch. 98%, that means more replies, more meetings, and of course, more pipeline. Want to see what type of results you can get with Apollo? Head over to apollo.io slash e5, apollo.io slash e5. If you go there right now, their team will set you up with a free account for you. And as a thank you for your time, check this out. You're going to get a free annual membership to Exit 5. That's valued at $275 just for checking them out. And the tool is free. If you're not already a member, this is a great opportunity. And if you are and you want to learn more, go to apollo.io slash e5.